Uh, very good to see you this morning again. Uh, and uh, if you're visiting us, it's great to have you. Um, uh, we hope you feel very welcome with us uh, this morning. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at that passage, so please keep it open in front of you. We're starting a new series, as I said, in the book of Ezra, working all the way through. And um, just to say uh, that on your tables, you'll also have a, a sermon handout if you're into following notes. Uh, that might be useful. And um, here at Christchurch Campbell, we have a kind of a question time, uh, a time to interact after the sermon, um, which, um, you know, it, if, if you just want to, as, as we're going through, if you want to jot something down, um, there's a box there for thoughts, comments, questions, prayer points. If you want to say something at the end, um, then feel free, uh, it, you know, jot, maybe jot that down and, and there'll be a time for that. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pray and ask for God's help before we have a look at this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are a holy God, as we've just been singing, that you are a great big God, uh, as we've just been singing, that your ways are always perfect and you are in complete control of all things. Father, we praise you for this. And we praise you more so that you're a God who speaks to us, uh, that wants to know us, uh, wants us to know you. And Father, we ask, therefore, that you would open the eyes of our hearts uh, this morning to see you uh, rightly, to see who you are. And we pray, Father, that the, the result of that would be right honour and worship of you. Father, we do uh, pray just now for the Sunday groups going out, the children going out. Father, we thank you so much for the children in this church. We pray uh, that uh, they too would have the eyes of their hearts opened by the power of your Spirit and that they would come to know you for themselves. Father, we approach you this morning completely confident because we do so in the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you for him. We thank you that it's through him that we can come to you and know you as our own Father. And so we pray in his name now and for your glory. Amen. Uh, well, I don't know how, uh, what you think of these kind of, uh, these building programs. Uh, you know, um, they've been fairly popular for, for a while now. Uh, things like uh, Grand Designs. Um, it's a program where basically you see someone kind of build their dream house in some kind of dream location, sort of from scratch, you know, and uh, you follow their progress from kind of planning to, like, to, to completion. And sometimes it's this kind of, it's a slightly quirky, unique building that you get at the end of it, in the middle of nowhere. Um, or perhaps you prefer uh, DIY SOS, um, the big build. The idea here is that uh, a guy called Nick Knowles um, is kind of the head builder and the presenter, and um, he gets together this kind of local, you know, uh, team of tradesmen, and over the course of the week, they rebuild a house for a person or a family who have gone through um, uh, some kind of tragic situation or, or hardship, uh, and they, they, you know, they convert their loft or bathroom, whatever it might be. And at the end of the week, they surprise this person with their new home. Uh, or perhaps you prefer something like 60-minute makeover, uh, where a team of people kind of head into a house and renovate uh, a number of rundown uh, rooms 
um, worn-looking rooms, if not the whole house, in the space of an hour. Uh, and what happens is the owners return and they react to what's, what's, what's been changed. Um, now, look, I, I could go on. There's, there's tons of these things. They're really popular. Um, and I guess they're, they're popular because as you watch this thing, as you watch this building project take place, it, ta- it runs you through a number of emotions, doesn't it? So, um, it, you know, you, you kind of see that and you're, you're kind of with these people there. So it, in any given program, you, you, you know, there's real progress and there's times of encouragement and achievement. Um, uh, and, of course, they're made all the more encouraging, aren't they, by the setbacks. You know, sometimes work stops or um, something goes wrong. Um, problems come up. Um, and you're kind of thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen now? And some, somehow they overcome it. Um, or there, there's, there's also real reaction, isn't there? There's sometimes a sense of achievement at the end. Uh, and joy and gratitude, and sometimes there's real disappointment. Um, perhaps the finished project was just not quite what was expected. The whole thing can feel like one big letdown. Now, of course, um, there's also a real sense of purpose uh, with the work. There's something behind driving these people, driving the local tradesmen or the builders, whether it be helping others or helping the environment or living their dream. You know, these things drive the work. Now, despite all those things, I really hate these programs. Um, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I, I cannot stand them. Uh, sometimes I walk into the room, Susie's watching, and I think, oh, this is bad. This is not good. Um, and so I'm not sure if it's an encouragement to tell you that actually this is exactly what we have in the book of Ezra. Uh, we will spend nine weeks, the next nine weeks, effectively watching a building project take place. That's what you've got. Uh, this is the Bible's very own episode of DIY SOS. <clears throat> or it's a very own grand design. But it's on a much, much grander level. It's a much more unique project because the building that takes place is not just a normal house. It's God's house. Ezra is all about the building of God's temple or God's house. And to fully appreciate it, you know, to fully appreciate the work that is going on, what we need to understand is the backstory, uh, what's happened before. So, you know, just as there's a, you know, so DRS, Nick Knowles goes in and something's happened with his family. Okay, there's a reason why Nick Knowles is going in to, to redo the house. There's something that's happened to them and there's a purpose behind the work. Um, and there is a reason, just as, as, as that's the case, there's a reason for the building of God's temple. And the reason is, very simply, that it has been destroyed. Uh, it was built before, and uh, God had come to dwell in his temple. So it's the central place for the Jewish people. You know, th- this was the place, this was so important, this was the place where they went to meet God. And it was the place where they went to worship God. And despite God living there 
and being there with them, the people constantly rejected him. They didn't trust God. They didn't want to know him. They forgot him. They worshipped other things. And so, after numerous warnings, what happened is God sent the people away from the temple in judgment. And he did this through a foreign king called Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king of Babylon, and under God's direction, he invaded Jerusalem. He comes into Jerusalem, and we can see exactly what happened in uh, 2 Chronicles. It's, it's really interesting. If you just, if it, in your Bibles, just turn back one page, and you will find you're, you're at the end of uh, 2 Chronicles. And um, this is what happens, okay, as Nebuchadnezzar comes in. Um, so just have a look. We're going to read chapter 36, so what you have in front of you, from verse 17. Okay, here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He brought up, that's God, sorry. God brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed the young men with the sword in the sanctuary and did not spare young men or women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. He, that's Nebuchadnezzar, carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the places, uh, sorry, palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, that is the people who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. So, you see, what's happened here, God's people have been taken away from the temple. Okay, that's what they call exile. And the temple has been emptied of its contents. Okay, and the temple itself has been destroyed, it's been burnt down. So the people without God, he's no longer dwelling with them. They have no place to worship. They are amongst foreign people and they are suppressed by a foreign king. That's a real story, uh, and they're, they're like that for 60 years, 60, 70 years. Uh, but it's not the end of the story. Because you see, as you turn over the page, the very next thing, 60, 70 years later, is the amazing story of Ezra. It's a story how, of how God's people return to their home and rebuild the temple that was once there. This, this is a story of restoration. Now, as we kind of see that unfold, it will contain all the mix of emotions that I mentioned earlier. Encouragement, excitement, achievement, setback, disappointment. Um, you know, uh, this is a classic building project program. But the thing is that as we watch it together... We're not just watching it. That, that's the great thing about it. Because the God of these people is our God. And just as these people were involved in a building project, so are we. Now God's people were, at this point, 
Their, their building project is physical. It's a physical temple. It's like, it's like a building like, uh, like this. It has bricks and stone. Um, and we'll see, you know, it doesn't come to much. And eventually, it's replaced by Jesus Christ. The Gospels, he describes himself as the true temple. He's the place where we go to worship God. But as he returns to heaven, what happens is the church comes into being and that is described now as God's temple. That's the place where God dwells, in his church, and it is a place that is to be built, not with bricks and stones, but with people. We build one another. So you see, on one level, it's very different. Their building project is different to ours, but what we'll see is that the purpose of the project is the same, the challenges and the setbacks are the same, and the encouragements are the same, and that's largely down to the fact that God is the same. And the biggest encouragement that we see in this and that we see actually abundantly in chapter 1 the biggest encouragement is that this God is the one who builds okay he's in control it's his building yes he uses his people but he builds God builds If you remember nothing else from this whole sermon series, that's the one thing, two words, God builds. Now we see that really clearly here in chapter 1, before they even start building. Uh, We see that God is a God who is in control and makes sure that this building is going to take place. Two things we see. The first is that the Lord moves the king. The Lord moves the king. That's the first thing we see. The Lord moves the king. <clears throat> so you see that really clear. Uh, verse 1, just have a look down there with me. It says here, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. The Lord moved the king. He moved the heart of Cyrus. Now you'll notice that um, the king here is not Nebuchadnezzar that I mentioned earlier, that I mentioned in the backstory. That's because, as I said, people have been exiled for 60 years and there's been some changes. So Persia, what's happened, this, this place called Persia has grown into this new superpower and it has a king called Cyrus and they've come in and they've swallowed up Babylon. So suddenly Persia are in charge, they're in control. Okay? Now, the people are still there. They're away from Jerusalem. They're still in exile, but Cyrus is the king over them. And what we see in verse 1 is that God moves his heart to do something. This is something so significant that Cyrus wants to tell all the people by proclamation, by his voice, And in writing. So you just have a look there, verse 2. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, verse 2. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. 
Now, I don't know whether, I, I don't think that God moving his heart is an act of saving him, but at the very least, what happens is Cyrus recognises God as the true God, the God of all of heaven, much greater king. This is the true king, and he puts into motion the building of God's temple. Cyrus doesn't intend to do that himself. Instead, he sets God's people free to do it. Have a look at verse 3. This is what Cyrus says, Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, and God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock and free offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. So you see, not only are the, the exiles are free to go, he's saying, look, go. You, you go and build the temple. God be with you. And everybody here provide those people with um, vessels, ornaments, for the service of God. So you see, the, the king is saying, you can go back, you can go and worship your God. You can go and build the temple where you went to worship. This is what the Lord moves the king to do, to set those people free. Now look, for King Cyrus to do this is massive. This is an extraordinary thing. So, because when, when an empire has people captive like that, the, the norm is to control them, to keep a lid on them. So to let the people go and just kind of live their lives, and to let the people go and, and build a temple to the one true God, is absolutely bonkers. You know, if you look at Israel's history, the last time that happened, they were prosperous, they dominated. And so, you know, to do this is going to end your own kingdom. You know, this is like, uh, if you like, the, the starting point, it's like, it's like a grand design project that is a non-starter. So you know a couple of, you've got, you got the situation where a couple of people want this kind of crazy house on a particular bit of land, but planning permission has absolutely zero chance of going through, okay, because of the government. That, you know, this project has no hope before it's even started. Yeah, that, that, was, that, that was the situation. People would have looked at Cyrus and thought, you're mad to do this, and yet it happened. He did it. And it was so significant that it's actually recorded outside of the Bible for us. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. This is um, what's called the Cyrus Cylinder, it's in the British Museum, and it has this passage, the words of this passage, printed on it. So such was the significance of this, that people recorded it and put it in a museum and said, look, isn't this amazing that, that the king would let these people go? It's an extraordinary thing to happen. And the explanation, of course, is that God did it. God moved the king. That's the point. God moved the king. He's in control. He's the true king. And so, of course, the question at this point is, well, why? You know, why, did, why did God do that? So, yes, he's in control, but why did he move the king in this way? So the people deserve exile. God doesn't need a tempo, temple at all. So why would God do this? What, you know, is his act of, does he act in this way, just in random, random, sporadic ways, just to show that he's in charge? Well, actually... No, the reason for the Lord moving the king is what we see there in verse 1. 
Just have a look, read verse 1 with me again. Okay, here's the reason. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord, spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus. See, that's why he moved the king, in order to fulfill his word. Now, specifically, that was uh, Jeremiah. He was a prophet. He went to speak to the people whilst they were in exile. And there's a range of promises that he gives. We can't really nail it down to one. But basically, what he's saying, what he promises the people in exile is, look, this will come to an end. There'll be an end of this king, and you will be restored. And that's what we see happening here. That's why... God moves the king to fulfill that word so that the people would be restored by building the temple. They'd be with God again. And the wonderful thing we see there is that this God, the, the, the king of heaven, the, 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 the king of all the earth, is a God who keeps his promises. He promises to restore his people and does that. Now, of course, our restoration, our temple, comes to us, doesn't it, through Christ. So Acts 2 tells us that that it was God's deliberate plan, just as promised, that Jesus made a way for our restoration, that through his death and resurrection, that's how we're restored. And on him, the church is built. And I I take it that because we've seen that God keeps his promises, that God can move the king, that that when Jesus says that I will build my church, he will do that. You know, this here, this this is a it's a reflection of our full restoration when we when we get to glory. God promises that he'll build it and, and that we'll get there. And we ought to trust that that is exactly what he will do. Regardless of who looks like they're in charge. See, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, when, when the government suddenly starts to label churches like ours and people like us as extremists that could be harmful to society. When the government start to think about monitoring what Christians are teaching their children and observing youth groups, you know, we start to think that building the church to come here and freely worship God is that's a non starter. It's not going to happen. But you see, here we see that God is in charge. And he does exactly what he says he will do. He's made a way and he promises that he will build his church. He keeps his word. There's so many uncertainties, isn't there, as we we go through this life. We don't quite know what's going to happen from one year to the next. And yet we have something that we can trust. We have a God who we can trust because he is a God of heaven. 
He is God over all other kings and he, he keeps his word. Now for him to build his church doesn't mean that, that we will necessarily grow in number. Uh, the New Testament seems to say actually what's guaranteed is that you'll grow in faith together. We will continue to worship and we can be absolutely sure of that because the second and final thing that we see this morning is that the Lord moves his people. The Lord moves his people. <clears throat> That's the second thing that we see. So you see, you've got this situation here. God's moved the king and suddenly the people are free to go. They, they, can, they can go, but they need to actually get up and go. And so what happens is the same God, the same sovereign Lord who worked in the king, now works in his people to make that happen. Have a look at verse 5. Uh, it says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, they prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So they, literally they arose, they got up, they packed their bags, all those that the Lord had moved. Now, again, that is an extraordinary thing because what it says is that if God hadn't have worked, the people would not have moved. You know, so here you have, you've got your DIY SOS episode. Amazingly, miraculously, planning permission has gone through you know, the, the authorities have passed it. And yet, all the workers, the tradesmen that Nick Knowles kind of brings together, they don't want to know. They're sat in their homes, just kind of drinking coffee. And that's, that's the situation here, because these people would have no reason to return. Just have a look um, here at, at what, what's going on at that time, okay? This is, this is a passage in Jeremiah, and God speaks to the people in Jeremiah and uh, this is what he says uh, in verse 4 to 7. Um, uh, he says to them, Look, whilst you're here in exile, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, uh, eat what they produce, uh, marry and have sons and daughters, and wives for your sons, uh, uh, and give daughters in marriage, so that they uh, may um, have sons and daughters. Increase in number. There, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have uh, carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will also prosper. So you see, in other words, if they listened to God, it was possible to prosper in exile and live a really nice life. At the same time, Jerusalem is not as they know it. It's littered with kind of foreign enemies and there's no temple. You know, their former home is completely desolate. So this building project, the prospect of it is massive. It's one that looks impossible and the people have settled. They have their own lives. They've been there for 60 years. So look, the workers, they'd rather sit at home. They're not going to go and get up for this. And so what happens... God moves them. God moves the people. Yeah, that's when they rise to return. 
And what's really significant here is that as they prepare to do that, they're not going back empty-handed. So just as the king commanded, the people around them give valuables in verse 6. But they're also heading back with the original articles that were taken from the temples. Just have a look at verse 7. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out, of, out, out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Midredeth, the treasurer, who count them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This was the infantry. Uh, and so you get the infantry there, gold dishes, silver dishes, silver pans, etc. 5,400 articles and all these, along with the exiles, were brought up when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. Now, look, those verses are slightly problematic. We don't know who Sheshbazar is. He's a leader of some kind, but we don't know where he comes from. And the eagle-eyed amongst you will notice that the numbers don't quite add up uh, there. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there weren't 5,400 articles. It just means that some of them were not specifically mentioned. Do you see? So he's kind of saying, look, there's these things, and in total, I'm not, I'm not going to mention a load of other things, but in total, there was 5,400 things. But the point, though, is that the Sovereign Lord has preserved these things. Do you see? They, they were carried off, and they've not been destroyed. They've been preserved, and now they're being taken back. Because what God wants is his temple to be restored exactly as it was to be restored as it ought to be. Yeah, the presence of these things means that they have full access to their God. It means that they, they, they can essentially worship him. So here they're given everything they need to worship. Now that's the end goal of this building project. You know, the... the the purpose, unlike what we see on TV, is it's not a, a kind of a, a, you know a life ambition. It's not a, a charity towards somebody. It is to worship the God who is God, and that is what the Lord moves His people for. So yeah, there's, there's work to be done. But really, they're returning to God. Yeah, he moved them to worship. Now the thing is, as we work through Ezra, what we see is that they have a system of worship. Yeah, so these articles are essential in that. It, 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 we'll see that as we go through. But that's all they have. They have this system, but these things, they can't give them the relationship that they need to really honour him, to really live for him. And so you see for us, that is why this temple was replaced. That is why Christ came, because actually our true temple is the one who brings us into the relationship with God that we really need. And the amazing truth we see here is that it takes an act of God to bring us to him. It takes an act of God for for anyone in Papworth or Camborne to come to Christ. 
the Lord must move his people. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you you need God to move your heart to come to Christ. You can't do that by some kind of system or doing or just coming here. You need God to work. And for us here who, who are Christians, who know Christ, you have that, you know, we can be very good, can't we, at religious systems. You know, we, we can, we can uh, do all sorts of things here. We can, we can come and set up, we can serve in various ways. Uh, you know, we, we can see that very much as building this church. But do you see, we can only come to Christ, we can only truly worship God in those things if God moves us by his spirit. Only then will his temple really be built. Will his church really be built as God moves us? And so you see, we need to trust this God. The God who moves the king, the God who moves the people. Not only that he will build his church, but we need to trust him to build his church. And the great thing is that what we clearly see here is he's the one who will do that. He's the one who's in control. He's the builder. And so we trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that uh, you are a great big God, that you are the Lord, the God of heaven, who gives us all things, who is the God over the king, who is the God over your people, who is in control of everything that we see around us. And we thank you so much that you not only moved these people, but that you sent Jesus Christ to us. Thank you that for each of us here who trust in him, that was not a work of ourselves. It was a gift. You moved our hearts to come to him. And so we pray, Father, that as we seek to build your church, that we wouldn't do so apart from you. That we wouldn't do so apart from Christ, apart from your spirit. We pray that we would depend on you, trust you and truly worship you in all the things that we do here in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, uh, take a couple of minutes uh, just to talk with the people around you um, and... um, just to say, if, if that's really uncomfortable for you, uh, please don't worry. You, you could go and get a drink or you can you know, talk about something else. That's absolutely fine. Um, but take a couple of minutes just to talk about what we've heard and then uh, what we'll do is we'll just have an opportunity for any questions or comments, anything you want to add to what's been said, uh, any insightful application that will be really helpful for people. Um, and uh, we'll do that in a couple of minutes' time. clear perhaps or uh, something that we didn't quite understand or, or what you know whatever do Nick yeah great okay great um, what, what happened to the paper when they were in exile um, yeah thanks John um, sorry the question that John asked was did they still meet even though they didn't have a temple yeah that's a really good question Did they still meet together? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, uh, 
I don't know. Uh, so I think what we do know is that the situation was one where, um, if you can imagine, okay, us without this, that's what it would have been like. That makes sense. So you're 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 you are so beforehand, um, Israel, uh, Judah. Were, were very much their own people. They lived together, they did everything together. They were, they were a, a community together. And suddenly in exile, they're placed around tons of people who don't know God. And um, here, they're without the temple. So they are without, effectively, church on a Sunday. Now, that's not to say that they wouldn't have seen one another. But I imagine it would have been, you know, um, not, not great. And yet, at the same time, you would get used to that, wouldn't you? You know, we might... We might miss it at first, but we, we, you can quickly see how actually that would, um, you know, you slip into just a comfortable way of living. So they, they, weren't, they weren't hugely persecuted or anything. I think uh, they were just there, but without the temple. And so I'm sure they would have seen each one another, met together, would have talked and prayed together, but they didn't have that place to go and, and kind of worship God collectively, I don't think, John. Now, I might just have a look at that, because I think that's a really good question. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it. So, next week, I might give you a really different answer. <laughs> but, does anybody have any thoughts on that? Go on, Megan. Surely they would have carried on doing stuff in their home, so they would have, like, yeah, continued to meet and yeah. share Shabbat meal together. You know, then they mm. would have probably, um, they wouldn't have had maybe such a separated out... Uh, church meeting on a Sunday morning as we might have the concept right. of now they would have had a much more in yeah. our homes we continue to remember the yeah. Old Testament and yeah, what I think the so. yeah. Yeah. I think so I, I think the other, the other thing that's worth saying is to what extent that happened I don't know because what you have so when the people were in exile you have a number of prophets saying, going to them and saying to them turn back to God you know, so you're, 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 you're in this situation because you've rejected him now turn back to him and that wasn't always welcomed. So I don't know if it was just a case. So I think Megan's probably right, but I don't know whether everybody would have been saying, yeah, let's, let's, um, let's worship God, because actually they've been sent there because they rejected him and continue to reject him. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Anything else? Go on, Stephen. just trying to keep Tim fit here. Um, back, back to your point about um, trusting um, God to build his church, no matter who seems to be in charge. Um, we were just discussing some situations in which it looks like God isn't in charge at the moment. So when Ofsted start talking about um, monitoring youth groups, um, they said that about a year or two ago that they were going to try and do that. Um, Christian unions, they get excluded from students' unions because they um, demand that Christians make up the entire executive committee. Uh, the Christian Union at my school was threatened with closure last year um, with British value status as the reason. Actually, you know, um, verse 5 is a good reminder that without God, nothing happens. So, you know, when it does look like other people are in charge, when it looks like we're, you know, we're on our way out, when it looks like we're about to be labelled as extremists and whatever the implications of that are, actually, we need to remember that God's in charge, that we need to trust God, and that we need to ask God to move in certain situations so that we can continue to meet and we can see the building of his kingdom. And I, I guess what's, 
that's really helpful, Steve. I think it's what's really important, I don't think I said this, was, you know, um, and we'll see this when we get to chapter four. Uh, so chapter four, the work stops. And there is, there, is, there is no guarantee, there is nowhere in the Bible that says that this church will not be shut, shut down, uh, that we won't be persecuted as Christians. In fact, the opposite is more likely that we will face persecution at some point, in some form. And I guess what we trust is that God keeps us and he, 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 he increases our faith, not allows us to keep meeting openly. Does that make sense? So you've seen that, haven't you, with the church in China, who've had to go kind of um, underground, if you like. Uh, you know, now, that's, the church isn't dead, there, it's hugely alive, even though they weren't meant, allowed to meet publicly. Do, do you see what I mean? So, um, I think you're absolutely right that we do we do pray to that end, and we do we praise God that we can meet freely today. We, you know, we did that this morning in the in the in the prayer meeting, but um, and we pray that we keep doing that. But we also recognise that um, even if that does happen. The church, God will build His church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any, any, any other, any thoughts, Jimmy? Thank you. Um, God, in this case, took sixty years, sixty mm. to seventy years, to rebuild His church. So the question really is, when we are praying for specific situations in our lives, how should we as Christians pray regarding expectations of, of time? Yeah, that's a good question too. Um, I think, I, I guess, Jimmy, you just... Um, I mean... Here, the promise was um, so. If you, um, I mean, if you want to look it up, Jeremiah twenty nine ten. Um, yeah. So the Lord, uh, uh, this is sorry. This is what the Lord says: When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfil my good promise to bring you back to this place. So. Um, at this point, they were given a very specific time period, uh, and um, uh, so that, that they, you know, they were trusting that this would happen. I don't think for us that's not really the case. We're not given any specific times or dates for, you know. Um, uh, I guess for us, the, the next thing that's happening in God's calendar is Jesus returning. And we don't know when that will happen. Um, I guess we just trust that it will happen when God makes it happen. And we trust that his timing is always perfect. And I guess that, that's, that, that then gives you a broader application, doesn't it? So you, um, if you're praying for something, um, and you're praying expectantly, which is right, if, if God is who he is here, you know, you're praying expectantly, but you trust that his timing is perfect. You, you just don't, you just don't know. Um, does, does that is that helpful? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anybody want to add to that, Annie? 
Annie, do you want to just, just, sorry, do you want to talk into the mic? Um, the Bible clearly says that the times are times in God's hand. He has yeah. got everything planned for us. But only thing is that we do not have patience. We're just, we can be assured by the man who sat at the pool of this, that he's been there for years and years. Yeah. The only thing is that he tried every time to get into the pool, but he only had hope. And he, because of his faith and hope, although it, it was 38 years, but he just mm. still got... Uh, uh, Jesus to heal so that's the only assurance that we can still wait on God's plan and 29.11 Jeremiah says he knows the plans for us and it's not for us to be sad or something so that's the good Mm. uh, verse for us to be assured as well thank you yeah that's really helpful okay anything else any last Megan just on the moving our heart stuff um, do you think like your heart needs to be moved in order to do something to like to build God's church as it says there or to go and do an act of service for him so like if you're called to be a, you know like God might move your heart to go and do a specific work like these people were or mm. kind of yeah that's a really good question so there's lots of good questions this morning isn't there um I think, uh, so I'm just trying to think, Megan, where the New Testament talks about this. I mean, I, I guess, you know, we, we are called to, to worship in spirit and truth. And Jesus gives us his spirit, and he also gives us more of his spirit. Now, that's not to say that you have you have more of the Holy Spirit than you had done, is to say that you are filled with more Jesus-like stuff, if, if that's a, uh, for want of a better phrase. But the idea is that you're, the Spirit makes you more like Christ. And I guess that means that you, you do need a movement of the Spirit to genuinely worship him in whatever it is you're doing. So I guess you can, of course you can. Like I... I I guess, even, say, even a non-Christian who has the spirit, does not have the spirit at all can turn up here and, and do a, um, a Sunday group lesson. <laughs> Bye, Eli. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um, <laughs> hello, mate. Uh, that is brilliant. Now, just let me finish talking. Just one second. All right? Um, so, I, you can do anything. I guess you can do anything apart from God, can't you? In, in the sense that you can... You, you can practically, you know, um, do a Sunday school lesson or you can practically turn up here and you can sing. I think to genuinely do those things, genuinely worshipping God, I guess you need this, the, the, the Spirit to work in you. Um, now, I think that's a very patchy answer. I, I, if I'm honest, I haven't thought about it and to what degree you need God to work to do anything. I guess what is helpful is John 15, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, so I guess the answer to your question straightforwardly is yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Go on, Richard, have you got any thoughts on that? Sorry, yeah, I, I think where you've ended is absolutely right. Yeah. Um, 
for anything to be done spiritually, we need God to move our hearts. Yeah. But what's important is that what the New Testament does, it puts the responsibility on us to seek the Lord, to walk in his light, to put on the armour of God, mm. you know, to put off the flesh. So God puts the responsibility on us to really seek him and to trust him and to walk with him. But actually, it must be God that does the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Because John 15 says it all. The flesh profits nothing and yeah. can do nothing. Yeah. Um, but God just wants us to seek him. Yeah. You know, and yeah. uh, it's, it's what Paul said to the Corinthians. You know, he, he planted Apollos waters, mm. but it was God that gave the increase but the responsibility is on us to do the planting and the watering but it's God that if there's anything achieved it will be because God works yeah thank you that that's really helpful isn't it um actually because I I guess that means then you don't you're not you're not kind of sat there waiting for something in order to do something you just get on and do it and trust that God will use it will work in you as you do it um, that's really helpful. Sorry, Megan, do you want to... No? Okay. Uh, okay, any... We've probably got time for just one more, although Sunday groups have clearly finished. <laughs> so why don't we sing? Is that all right? Uh, so we're going to just sing a song that <coughs> proclaims that we're trusting God, encourages to trust God as we see him through the, uh, through the ages, if you like. By faith we see the hand of God. Uh, so let's stand and sing.